0: Welcome to another episode of Beethoven Walks Into a Bar, the Kansas City Symphony's highest-rated podcast. I'm Mike Gordon, Principal Flute of the Kansas City Symphony.
1: I'm Stephanie Brimhall, Education Manager of the Kansas City Symphony.
2: And I'm Jason Sieber, the Associate Conductor of the Kansas City Symphony.
0: So what if every time you went for a job interview, your prospective employers didn't know a single thing about you? Not even your name. They can't even see you. There were 75 other candidates, and you had five minutes to get their attention. Well, for an orchestra musician, that's what we have to do to get a job. Auditions are a huge topic for us, and this is something we'll come back to again and again, I'm sure, but today, we're going to talk about the basics of what happens at an audition. It's a question the three of us get all the time, and in a few minutes we'll be joined by the Kansas City Symphony's very own personnel manager, Justin White, who will talk about how many thousands of steps he takes at each audition to make sure each candidate has the best possible opportunity to give a great performance.
2: So before we get too deep into talking specifically about professional orchestra auditions, I think it's important for, to realize that there are actually many types of auditions, and they're each you know a little different, but the basic purpose is always the same. In any audition, the whole point is to kind of get a snapshot of someone's current ability level, their skill, and their potential for what they can bring to an ensemble, whether it's a band or an orchestra, a choir or a solo uh, situation, a music festival. It could be so many different things. There are lots of different types of auditions that are pre-professional, for instance, like youth orchestra auditions. I just mentioned music festivals. You have college auditions, which are a big thing for high school seniors. There's just so many different types of auditions that many people experience before they even get to the professional audition stage.
1: So we're all musicians here, and uh, we have each probably had our own uh, fill of auditions. Maybe Mike more than the rest of us, since he's actually playing in an orchestra. But do you guys have any particular memories from auditions that kind of stand out in your time coming up?
2: I don't know if I have one myself. I mean, I remember taking many auditions as a kid and always being nervous for them. But I have one memory that really sticks out from an audition from a young lady when I was the music director of the Louisville Youth Orchestra. She was a third grade girl, little girl walks in, she had just finished her ballet lesson, which was in the same building. So she actually came in in her tutu with her little cello, sits down, uh, and there were four of us listening, four of the different conductors of the different groups. And she sits down and plays the Sasson's Cello Concerto in C major. And not only did she nail every note like you would not believe, she made eye contact with us the entire time and kind of stared us down and played so incredibly passionately. It was un. Believable. And, you know, normally we're making lots of notes during auditions. So we remember long after the audition what group to place them in. And I just remember the four of us just sat there with our jaws on the floor for seven or eight minutes as she played, and no one wrote a single thing. And when she walked out of the room, I remember crying. I was so moved by her performance. And one of the uh, other Judges wrote, sweet mother of pearl, with like 20 exclamation points (laughs) on his sheet. And none of the rest of us wrote anything else. So Anne, now she just finished uh, Juilliard uh, as a cellist. She got to perform with the Juilliard Orchestra, uh, the Elgar Concerto, with Alan Gilbert, recent music director of the New York Phil, so... I was proud of her then. Proud of her now.
1: I wonder if she she probably wasn't wearing a tutu when she uh when she did that last performance. I bet.
2: I, I hope not. Although I'm sure she's still dancing. She was an amazing dancer too. So, and if you're listening, hope you're having fun out there.
1: <laughs> that, that's awesome. So yours was a kind of how to do it. Uh, my my example is a what not to do moment. And um, I don't know, Mike. You might know this person, but I'm not going to use names. But it was uh, when we were when we were in college, and we were coming in and doing like the pre, you know, like the start of school main audition where you just kind of played for the faculty, and then they assigned you parts for the season based on how you play at the beginning of the year, basically. And this player, I recall, went in and decided that um, they played better barefoot, and I just remember her walking in and... Seeing that and being like, that's really weird, because this isn't a screened audition. And I don't know if she thought it was a screened audition or whatever. But she walked in, um, played her entire audition in bare feet, and then left. And I don't think the committee could get past the fact that like, this supposed to be professional <laughs> person was playing in bare feet. And I don't, I don't feel like she maybe fared very well that year. But I I don't know. So even if you're not even even if you're not sure, and, and maybe it's in person and maybe it's behind a screen, I recommend always wearing shoes.
0: That is uh, sage audition advice from Stephanie Brimhall. Everyone, <laughs> sage audition advice always wear shoes. Uh, I actually don't remember who that is. You'll have to tell me later, but uh, I do remember many of those uh, orchestra seating auditions. And actually, my my memory that I wanted to share was from my very first professional audition. And the Kansas City Symphony was not my first professional audition. There were several that came before. And the first one I went, and I didn't quite know what. To expect, and I was nervous, of course, and you know everything was unfamiliar. And they took me uh, at at my time. The audition portion actually happened for the preliminaries in the in what would have been the what was the concourse area of the hall. They sort of sectioned off an area of the concourse uh, where the auditions happened. And uh, on the preliminary list, they had uh, Brahms Fourth Symphony as well as Brahms' first symphony, very common flute excerpts. And they said the prelim list was going to be, you know, Brahms four, and then something else, and then something else, and then Brahms one. And the uh, proctor at the audition when I went in said, okay, we'll hear Brahms first. And I thought, (laughs) oh God, I I know Brahms four is supposed to be first, but are they changing this up on me? Do they want to hear Brahms 1 first, or is it Brahms 4? And I didn't know what to do. And they always tell you at an audition, you're not supposed to speak directly to the committee, because then they might know something about you. If you're a man or a woman, or if it's somebody they know, they'd recognize you. So the procedure, and Justin will undoubtedly tell you about this later, uh, is to whisper to the, to the proctor a question, and the proctor will relay that to the committee. So I whispered to the proctor, I said, do you mean Brahm's fourth first? Or Brahm's first first? And she didn't quite hear me, and then there was confusion and I was no ne- and anyway, so I played my Brahms once I figured out that it was Brahms Fourth first, like the sheet said, and I was totally distracted and the rest of the audition was a complete flop and I fly I flew across the country for you know to do that for five minutes and
2: that was it. <laughs> so was Brahms first fourth then? If Brahm's
0: fourth was first? Brahm's First was fourth, and Brahms' second was twelfth, and Brahms' third was... was, uh, (laughs) It's all a bad, distant memory. (laughs) Okay, so that's a little lay of the land about auditions, but uh, you're all grown up now, and you want things, a steady paycheck, health insurance, maybe even a retirement plan. Uh, It sounds like what you really want is an orchestra job. And if you want that, you have to take auditions, professional auditions. These aren't just the uh, the orchestra seating auditions that uh, Stephanie had in, uh, in college, and myself as well, actually. And um, there are a few things you should realize, that uh, auditioning actually is an incredible investment, not only in time and effort, but in money, too, for uh, aspiring musicians. Uh, musicians pay their own way to get to auditions. They have to Make time out of their schedules. Sometimes give up paying work to go take auditions. In addition to paying, uh, you know, room and board, food, travel. There, uh, there are no fancy corporate headhunters in the music world seeking out qualified flutists for their orchestra. Uh, we, we have to come to them. Uh, I wish that were the case, but uh, sadly it's not. And, you know, then you you travel to some city that you're probably uh, unfamiliar with. You don't know where to go. Sometimes you have a rental car, but that costs more money. So sometimes you don't. You're dealing with public transportation. Things aren't running on schedule. Uh, you show up and they tell you you're going to play at noon and you might not play till three or you show up at noon and they tell you at 12.05, hey, it's your time and you're not ready. Uh, you just don't know what's going to happen. And then you have to go on stage and you have to walk up six flights of stairs and you're out of breath. And then they tell you to play afternoon of a fawn and you fail. And they say, thank you. I'll see you next time. (laughs) And it's just, it's incredibly stressful. And, uh, yes, Stephanie is laughing.
1: (laughs) I feel like you need to take a breath. You're like reliving just like, oh, I'm having flashbacks
0: (laughs) just for everyone's benefit. I'm sharing my flashbacks. Basically, what Mike is trying to
2: say is that auditions are a piece of cake. They're the easiest thing you can do.
0: It's like, yeah, it's like riding a bike. It's great. My point, thank you for interrupting my flashback, (laughs) is that uh, here at the Kansas City Symphony, I'm very proud to say that we keep all of that to an absolute minimum. And uh, there is one person who deserves a lion's share of the credit for that. And that is our personnel manager, Justin White, the one and only. And among his many duties uh, outside of auditions, uh, one of the most important jobs that he does is uh, organizing and conducting auditions. He communicates with the candidates uh, before the audition to provide them with all the information they need, answer questions, help them in any way that they need. And uh, then when they're uh, actually here for the audition, he uh, also uh make sure that everybody gets uh, the most fair hearing they possibly can. He makes sure everybody is as comfortable and as calm uh, and as prepared for that moment as they can possibly be. And no one does it better than Justin White. So welcome, Justin White. Thanks so much for joining us today.
3: Thanks, Mike. Thanks for being, thanks for inviting me to be here. And also thanks for making my job sound harder than it really
0: is. (laughs) I think it is hard, actually. You should go to more auditions and see how the rest of them do it. You know, I'd love to, actually. I'm I'm actually interested in that.
1: All right. So we just heard Mike have a total panic attack over his uh, audition experience, but Justin actually really likes auditions. And part of that might, might be because you don't have to take them yourself. But like, (laughs) what do you like about the audition experience?
3: It's it's true. I do I do love the audition experience. I know the the word itself is something that gives most musicians just the nervous shakes, and either that or they're going to run from the room screaming. But but I do enjoy them, and I think there's a couple of reasons why. Um, there's a couple of auditions we're missing right now uh, in in this situation. Um, but as the personnel manager, I serve as somewhat of an impartial referee at these auditions, so I'm not going through all the emotions that these players are going through. Um, I can see them. I get to talk to them. Um, but one of the most, the the first reason I I think of is that I'm a huge fan of lists and countdowns. And to me, Mm -hmm. auditions work the same way. You go from a sometimes very large sample size, you pare it down to a palatable number in the first rounds, and then you go on to find out who's the best of the best that's there. And finally, you get the one that stands out. Um, the entire process is blind to the committee, not to me, but it's not always the best player who wins. Unless, you know, it's Mike Gordon, it wasn't his case. <laughs> um, but it's the best it's the player who played the best audition of that rep for that committee on that particular day of those particular excerpts, et cetera, et cetera. And to me, that's that's one of the, the main reasons I enjoy it. I, I enjoy finding out from this large pool of candidates who the best one is.
1: I think that's kind of a cool thing that you get to do, too, is like of all the people that are involved in the audition, whether that's the people taking the audition or the committee of musicians um, listening to all the players, you and uh, Elizabeth, our assistant personnel manager, are the only ones who know who everyone is and where they've all come from. And you're, you're the only ones that know that. And you're the only ones that really will ever know all of that.
3: Yeah, from the beginning of the process to the end. I mean, of say we get 100 resumes for a position, the nine-member audition committee that we have is only going to know one of them, the person who they choose as the winner. The other 99 remain anonymous to them completely. Elizabeth and I get to see those names from from the day they apply.
2: So Justin, every orchestra, of course, does auditions slightly differently. Um, And without going into too much detail about how the Kansas City Symphony does their auditions, just tell us a little bit about how Generally, these auditions work when people show up uh, to to perform for the judges. And especially, you mentioned um, the screen, and that's a pretty typical thing, uh, especially nowadays with orchestras. It wasn't always the case. So talk a little bit about how these auditions work in general and about the use of the screen and why that's such a, a an important thing.
3: sure. and it's not just the use of the screen. it's it's also the use of carpet on stage to mitigate any any kind of pre-bias that someone might have about the way someone's walking onto the stage. But yeah, someone's going to come in, they're going to register, they're going to check in, find out what's being asked on the first round, which excerpts are you looking for? Are you looking for that Mahler symphony? Are you looking for Mozart 35 or Mozart 39? Which ones are you going to be asking in this first round? You're going to be, in in Kansas City's case, we're going to give you a private warm-up room. We have enough space backstage, thankfully, that we're able to do that. Not every orchestra, like Mike said, is going to give you that luxury. You might be in a large warm-up room with 10, 15 other people. Um, But for us, we're going to give you an individual warm-up room for at least an hour um, before you go on stage. Um, you're going to walk out onto a very empty stage. It it may have some chairs set up for our our week, whatever we're doing, but otherwise it's going to be pretty blank. You're going to see a black wall of of, uh, carpet, Uh, not carpet, but uh, just cloth in front of you, which has uh, a block between you and our audition committee. Uh, All nine members of our audition committee are sitting behind that screen, so that they don't know who this person is, they don't know what they look like, they don't know if they're male or female, they don't know if they're even holding the right
1: instrument, to be honest. So who makes up that committee? Who's sitting back there?
3: Sure, good question. Uh, Like I said, it's a nine-person committee, and depending on what instrument it is, uh, there's a different makeup, uh, in our contract at least. But um, it's typically going to be People on similar instruments, if it's a clarinet audition, you're going to have a makeup of uh, mostly woodwind players. If it's a violin audition, it's going to be a lot of strings on that committee. Uh, we recently had two somewhat strange auditions, as you might say, harp and a percussion committee. Obviously, we don't have a lot of those instruments in the orchestra, so it's kind of just a mishmash of different you know, principal players from a- around the orchestra to make decisions on that. But um, really, it just depends uh, what you're going to see similar instruments on the committee.
2: Do you find that some musicians really have a hard time playing for a screen? Because as musicians, it's all, for us, it's all about communicating, and it's all about making music for people. And it has to be intimidating to not only walk out on a big stage, but then to have to play and not be able to see a single person that you're playing for. Do you ever find that some people are really good at that because they're able to block... Out, uh, other people and other people have a hard time because they're not able to connect with other people
3: i th- i think so i think you know as musicians you're used to practicing by yourself to begin with so i i don't i don't know uh i didn't take a whole lot of auditions myself as a musician but one thing i know that throws a lot of people for a loop for us is just the the beauty and the fantastic sound quality of the hall that's that's one thing that that I really see throwing people for a loop. the The instant I open the door, they're looking around. They're seeing the organ. They're seeing the this the, the seating all around the stage, and they're just in awe, really. And you know, then they ask if they can play some test notes to see what the hall sounds like. And they play a note, and it, they just their eyes widen, and they're just amazed by the beautiful sound that that the hall helps them create. And it's it's just an amazing thing. I don't know if the the singularity of themselves being The only person there matters as much as that.
0: I think one of the hardest things about that that I remember from auditioning is just that, you know, as young players, you assume that when you're playing for a normal audience, they're there rooting for you. They're supporting for you. They want to enjoy what you're going to do. And that, you know, that lifts you up. That gives you energy. When you're in an audition it's actually still true, but as the player, you feel like they're there just to judge you and to look for a reason to eliminate you. And, and that, you know, kind of hinders uh, your ability to really get into a performance. And I think the people, the people who can approach that uh, positively, and by the way, I'm not necessarily one of those people, um, uh, you know, will do, will do really well consistently. The people who, who can't, Get past that, I think, really struggle even when they're incredible players, and I've I've seen it happen uh, now from both sides of the screen many times. Well,
3: you you originally asked me why one of you know why I like auditions, and you know we all have to remember that music's an art. It's it's different people di- experience it differently, and another thing that just amazes me about auditions is. Okay, so you've got all these people there, 75, 80 people, whatever it is. They're all being asked to play the exact same notations on a piece of paper. And really, that's all it is. They're just playing the same thing on a piece of paper. Every single one of those players is playing it differently. And the committee knows that. I know that. They know that. And to me, that's that's another fantastic thing. It'd be like getting... Picasso, Rembrandt, Van Gogh, and Salvador Dali in a room and asking them all to paint a picture of my dog Miles. You'd get four completely (laughs) different representations of Miles, and that's what you get in an audition.
1: Well, and I think that's an interesting point because an audition that, that a player would take, like let's say there's a flute audition here in Kansas City. Principal. Oh, I don't know. Do you know something <laughs> I, hope, I don't?
0: i don't. <laughs> I'm not, not going anywhere. Calm down.
1: <laughs> Mike's going into full time podcasting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but let's say, like, we have a principal flute audition just for, you know, and um, in Kansas City, let's say, like, the exact same players showed up um, in Kansas City, as, and the same set of auditioners showed up for the same audition for principal flute in St. Louis right let's say everybody played the exact same way in both auditions which would never happen but very likely the committee would pick two different players because orchestras themselves are looking for a specific sound that the orchestra likes that would fit well within the section that would fit well within the you know in that case the woodwinds um so it, you know it's not even necessarily you know, the very best player is going to win. It's the very best player for that given orchestra in that given scenario. And that's just like, it blows my mind, like the possibilities of who can get hired and how really unlikely it is that you're going to get hired at any of those auditions.
0: I think one of the things that's really interesting to uh, to be aware of is, you know, you could have the best player in the world and you hear them and they're just not right for the particular position that That you're hiring for at that moment. And on the committee side, you know, we have a lot of discussion about players, especially later uh, as the audition goes on in later rounds. We have a lot more discussion as we're kind of winnowing down to the last few. And uh, as Justin said, you know, me being a woodwind player, I'm mostly on woodwind committees, uh, but occasionally I'll be on a string committee or I've done a percussion audition in the past. And it's interesting how the different Uh, groups of us listen a little bit differently. And one of the fun parts I know for Justin is that he gets to witness a lot of those discussions and kind of see how we all think about uh, these things differently. So Justin, I'd be really curious for you to reflect on that a little bit.
3: Well, yeah, it is interesting. I mean, uh, uh, another aspect that that I enjoy about these auditions is I really like to be right, Stephanie might recognize that <laughs> I really like to be right, and so sometimes I even pick a pick a horse before the audition even starts, just based on their resume and It's really fun to watch that person go through the process and hear what the committee thought about that person's playing or what they're listening for. you know and it's a funny thing how much more the word intonation gets brought up in Woodwind auditions than it is. Strings or or brass, oddly enough, um, mm. and and maybe that's a function of that's where the 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 tuning starts with the oboe, but um, they're much more honed in. I feel like on the intonation aspect of things. Maybe that's
1: because the brass just never play in tune. Is that what it wow. is?
0: <laughs> no, it's just I'm not that. <laughs> I was sitting
2: here quietly and then you I was went being there. good myself.
1: <laughs> I, <was really>
2: behaving. <laughs> uh, I Maybe do want to say comparing it to percussion
3: auditions where intonation <laughs> isn't a thing.
1: It's not a thing.
2: I do want to say, Stephanie, you did bring up a, a really good point a few minutes ago, which was that, you know, different committees are listening for different things and that each orchestra, as you said, has their own sound. And there's a long, rich history and tradition for each orchestra. The Cleveland Orchestra plays differently than the Chicago Symphony. Um, they play different than the Philly Orchestra, especially when it comes to string sound. And a lot of that is cultivated by the conductors that came you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, the Eugene Ormanis, the Leopold Stokowski's, uh, the George Sells. But you know, it's interesting because if you look at any orchestra in a major city, you will always find a pretty good representation of whatever the local strong music school is. A lot of alumni from the Cleveland Institute of Music are now playing in the Cleveland Orchestra. A lot of alum of Curtis are playing in the Philly Orchestra. And that's not because, you know, it's still happening behind a screen. It's not because they're they're picking them out because, oh, that's my student and I teach at Curtis. It's because those players that have played in those orchestras for a long time have taught their students how to play in that style. And that's the kind of style that they're looking for for that particular orchestra. And I've always thought that's such a neat thing to watch that lineage that happens in the tradition that continues throughout each orchestra.
1: Yeah, that is really cool. Um, so we've brought up the idea of different rounds. And unless you've taken an orchestra audition, you probably really don't understand like the structure. But Justin, can you talk a little bit about um, what it looks like from a preliminary round, like do you how much music do you play? And then if you're advanced to future rounds, how much music do you play? Does the screen ever come down? How does that work?
3: Yeah, for sure. So um, the preliminary round, everybody that we've invited to come goes through a preliminary round. And we typically schedule five to seven people per hour. Uh, so that kind of gives you an idea of how quickly – you're really getting to give an impression. Mike said about five minutes at the top, and that's about right. You're getting about five minutes in front of the committee. Um, when you factor time to get on stage and off, that's, that's all part of it. So, um, And everybody, like I said, is going to be playing the same you know, concerto and three, four, five excerpts for that committee in that preliminary round. For us, at least, that preliminary round, um, there's no discussion from the committee Maybe Mike can talk about how you make your decisions there, but the, there's no discussion on the committee. It's a simple yes or no vote on if, if, this, if you on the committee want to pass this person to the next round. And uh, from there, anyone who gets advanced goes on to our semifinal rounds, um, which could have anywhere from seven to 22 people. I think at our bassoon audition last year, we had 22 people in semis, um, which is a lot. Um, at that point... At the end of the round, the committee can get together and start discussing the things they liked about each person. Obviously, if there's 22, you're going to need some refreshers and going to want to take some notes, so they they do all of that too. Um, And from there, we don't consider it a final round until we get to fewer than seven players, Um, and that's a pretty important distinction in our contract. We could do a super semifinal round, which we also did at that bassoon audition. But uh, once finals gets there, our music director joins for the... uh, for the final rounds. And again, we we rely heavily on that that uh, committee discussion uh, at the end of the final round.
0: Yeah, I often find one of the hardest things uh, at an audition. You know, the prelims, we decide. You know, each hour on the ones we heard that hour, so we're thinking about you know maybe five or six people at a time. But you know, individually, we might choose to wait to make our decision until the end of the hour, or we just decide after each person. That's kind of a personal choice. Uh, but by the semis, you know, we're we're listening to everyone before we have discussion and before we make a final. Uh, vote so when there's a big semi-final round of even you know even six or seven people uh, you're hearing more music so it goes on for at least you know a couple hours sometimes if not more it is really hard uh, to remember each person well and to compare one against the other well uh, and so we all have different strategies for that we take notes uh, I have the most ridiculous notes because they don't mean anything except in that moment. Uh, in context because when I'm writing, I'm not listening well. So I try to keep it really brief and it's really qualitative. You know, I'll I'll write intonation, meh, rhythm, good. (laughs) Meh.
2: I like that. Popular word.
0: Too soft, hurried a bit, nice. And then there's even sort of a hierarchy for me, like nice is good. You know, then there's well done, then really good, really nice, really nice and good, you know. (laughs) And that kind of just helps me remember.
3: (laughs) Mike, I'm just curious, from your perspective, when you're sitting there listening to 8, 10, 12 hours of prelims, how do you and other people on the committee make sure that the people you heard 9 o'clock on the first morning get the same fair shake that you're hearing at 11 o'clock
0: on Tuesday morning? Oh, that's a really good question. You know, it's incredibly hard uh, and You know, one of the things that I really think about a lot at auditions is that, you know, the players have the challenge of preparing, of getting there and going through all of the gauntlet of things that I had a flashback about a little earlier. Um, And I think as a committee person, you know, we really have to honor that, uh, honor the investment of time and effort and stress that those people are going through and do everything we can to keep ourselves focused, to listen to everyone fairly Uh, and, and honestly, there's no good answer to your question. It's just, it's just very hard and we have to really make a conscious effort to stay focused and objective.
1: I think too, that's probably easier for you all to do because you've all been through the same process too. I mean, like you can relate to those players on stage because every one of those committee members has gone through the exact same process that, that those people are. So, I mean, I, I would hope that you would be compassionate and it certainly seems that you are
0: we definitely try to be I, I mean for you know clarinet auditions for instance if you know anything about the history of the kansas city symphony clarinet section uh and there is a video by the way if you're, there is. Uh, you should check uh, out the video it's check fantastic. out the video it's uh it's really spectacular but anyway <laughs> um we have had a lot of clarinet auditions and so but necessarily you know each time we have a clarinet audition we're hearing a lot of the same excerpts uh and you know you you go home and listen to the same thirty seconds of music uh, sixty times, and not only just the same thirty seconds of one piece, thirty seconds of another piece and another piece and another piece. And then you tell me if you don't go a little crazy after uh, <laughs> eight hours.
1: you know, we just did an episode on earworms. and i when when we did that when I was actually thinking about auditions and like, I mean, Justin sits backstage. And listens as all these people are checking in and they're all warming up, and there's, you know, 12 people in warm up rooms playing the same 30 second excerpts. Like, how often do you go home with just like these little snips of excerpts just running through your brain all the time?
3: Every audition. And actually, one thing I, I challenge myself with at auditions I'm a former trumpet player, and no matter what the audition is, no matter what the instrument is, I try to sit there and finger along with the parts as if it was a trumpet part. Um, That keeps me busy on stage because by the end of a bass audition, maybe I'll get Mozart thirty-five at some point. So
0: you only (laughs) need three fingers, though.
3: I only have three (laughs) fingers. Exactly. Um, At some, yeah, every audition I go home whistling whatever the the piece is.
2: Now, Justin, a big part of what you do, of course, is running back and forth, getting everyone organized, making sure that everyone gets a fair shake, and that everyone feels as comfortable as possible. All the candidates. But is there really is there something that you also do in your job at auditions that would translate into finding the best musician for the job? I mean, obviously the committee is picking, but is there anything that you're thinking about, I mean, obviously you're not trying to help anyone more than any other, but has there ever been anything from your job that you've realized I'm doing as much as I can to set these people up for success that we haven't talked about yet?
3: Well, I think we're the first person from the organization they might see, and Elizabeth and I. Um, sometimes we have a musician backstage helping us check people in and randomize the order and all of that stuff. Um, but we just have to be pleasant, I think, and make them feel good about wanting this job. Um we talk to them a lot as they're walking to practice rooms or walking on stage, just to let them know about what it's like to be a musician here. the, the you know all the various types of repertoire that we do—playing ballet, opera, music, uh, classical, movies, everything we do—but also you know just sometimes you're a little bit of a psychologist too, and trying to calm their nerves or you know let them know as they walk off stage that just because you you missed that one B flat it's not the end of the world necessarily for you. And we've had people be called back to semis because even though they thought they played a terrible audition and just keep a, a smile on your face and and uh, let them know that they need to keep trying.
1: I mean, I've actually watched Justin do some, like work some psychology magic on, on these players before. But, you know, I mean, I think Justin has a super cool job because he gets to be the one that tells them that they won. I mean, he gets to walk mm. into that room of finalists and say, you know, thanks for being here. The committee has selected number eight as the winner, and you get to experience that, like, elation and that joy. But you also get to tell 98 other people, <laughs> I'm sorry, but the answer is no. And, like, yeah. that has to be a difficult balance, too.
3: It is, and I, I struggle with it every time. I, I feel I kind of have this spiel in my head that's very brief. I just like pulling off a Band-Aid. And sometimes I wonder if I should soften it or make it different, But in the end, I just always go back to that. Yeah, we see we see a lot of tears from winners. A lot of you know they've put their like Mike said their whole life into this for three four months in planning these auditions, and when you're the one that wins, we see a we see a lot of criers, and it's really sweet. They they you know they pull themselves together when it's time to meet the committee. But um, we've had people win on their birthday. We've had people win (laughs) um, you know shortly after the you know, birth of their children. It's just, it's, it's really fun to be a part of, but the, the rejection part is, is hard. Um, yeah, you're telling everyone but one, sometimes everybody, that there is no winner, um, or that someone else is the winner. And I think they all understand that that's part of the process, that there can only be one, one person to win, but it doesn't make it any easier for me or them.
1: So Justin after a day of auditions I'm sure you like to go home and perhaps have a drink cuz that's a <laughs> lot of uh, a lot of work and a lot of walking a lot of listening and a lot of therapy. This podcast is called Beethoven walks into a bar. So we like yeah. to know what do you like to drink?
3: well you are you're a little bit wrong. I don't actually like to uh go home and have a drink, but uh, I'm not much of a drinker. maybe that's why I never made it as a professional musician. Um, Ooh, wow, but um uh, you could be right <laughs> i i uh it it may sound lame and I don't care, but uh my my general go to choice of a drink is uh bourbon and ginger ale.
1: why why is that's that not lame? lame
3: at all? I don't know. Sounds good to me.
2: Bourbon can never be lame, Justin. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big fan
3: of the, the, the local to- uh, Tomstown bourbon.
2: Ah, yeah. nice.
3: Yeah, with uh, yeah, Canada Dry, cold. Not a paid promotion. Just Not, at Not, <laughs> Not at all.
1: Not a sponsor. <laughs> so also, Beethoven walks into a bar. If you could sit down at a bar with your bourbon and ginger ale and sit down with Beethoven, is there anything you would want to ask him? You know, I deal a lot
3: in... Particular instruments and, you know, instrumentations. And Beethoven was writing at a time where instrumentation wasn't as big of a thing as it has become since. I think I'd be curious to know kind of which instruments he knew of at the time had the best potential, at, mm. you know, to be more of a contributor to orchestral music.
2: Good question. If
0: only Beethoven had a tuba. Right? Man. He would have gone or crazy. accordion,
3: who knows?
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Harmonica. It's true. Yeah, you know, Beethoven, I believe, was the first uh, composer to add the piccolo to the orchestra uh, in his Fifth Symphony at the end. So who knows if he'd had access to, uh, I don't know, the contrabass clarinet, for instance, what he would have done with it. Alto clarinet. Alto clarinet, Justin would have had to go uh, find one at some university somewhere that we can borrow, and we'd find out.
1: More likely high school, I think. (laughs) More likely
0: high school. Well, speaking of uh, random instruments that Justin has found, uh, we are curious to ask Justin his recommended listening this week, as we always on this podcast, wrap up by recommending some fun things for you to hear.
3: Yeah, I gave a lot of thought about this, and since this episode was all about auditions, I kind of felt as though I should pick a piece that I see a lot at auditions. And there's a lot of pieces that came to mind. Don Juan, Mahler symphonies, Mozart symphonies for strings. Um, But for my choice this week, I, I chose to go with something that I see on so many lists. I think it's been on a rep list for us for violin, viola, cello, clarinet, flute. And that is the scherzo from Mendelssohn's Midsummer Night's Dream. Um it's it's a difficult work and it's one that, like I said, shows up on just about every audition we see.
1: No way, that was my recommended listening too. <laughs> it was well, as a clar
3: as a clarinet player, I wouldn't expect anything but
1: <laughs> it's I, funny. I sometimes
3: I sometimes feel like I can pick the winner of a clarinet audition based solely on that excerpt.
1: I think that's what a clarinet committee does is they just listen to the Mendelssohn Scherzo. And they listen to whether you're doing it at 84, 88, or 92.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, then th- that's how you choose. There's no there's, other way to pick a clarinet winner.
3: There's one single 3-8 <laughs> bar of all rests that I can, if that's if that's in time, uh, if they're in time coming out of that, they're, they're gold.
1: So my recommended listening, I actually am putting two recordings of um, Mendelssohn's Scherzo from A Midsummer Night's Dream on my recommended listening list. One of them is slower than the other. Um, but only slightly, but I, I wanted to draw out the the idea that like just a small difference in tempo in an audition can make a big difference.
0: Well, I always remember being told as a student never to play Mendelssohn Scherzo so fast that you'll tick off a clarinet player on the committee. So that was
1: that is exactly right. <laughs> so let's see. Wear shoes and never go too fast on Mendelssohn Scherzo.
3: You know, I actually wanted to address the shoe-wearing thing there, Stephanie. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many auditioners we see not wearing shoes.
1: But there's a screen up!
3: <laughs> <laughs> and carpet. Wow.
1: It's well,
0: gross. my recommended listening this week is audition-related as well. I have many memories of playing uh, Saint-Saëns, Carnival of the Animals, uh, the voliere or aviary movement. And uh, there's a beautiful recording of that on YouTube with Emmanuel Pahoud, which is basically my one and only uh, flute hero. No, that's not true. I have other flute heroes, but he is someone who I just admire incredibly, and you should listen to his recording of "Full Year" from Carnival of the Animals.
2: Well, Mike, you are my flute hero, but uh, my piece has nothing to do with flute. Um, this week, we were supposed to have performed the great film The Red Violin with an amazing score by John Crilliano and Joshua Bell. The world-renowned violinist was supposed to join us uh, to perform the entire movie with us. And Curliano wrote the Red Violin Chaconne as a concert piece for violin and orchestra. And there's a great recording with Joshua Bell and the Philharmonia playing it with Esa Pekka Salonen conducting. Check that out as well. Next week was supposed to be the Kansas City Symphony's largest event of the season and one of our favorites, Celebration at the Station. And while we're unable to bring you that concert live this year because of the stay-at-home order, We are very excited to be joined by special guest Tim Donnelly from The Resilient as we talk about the healing power of music and we honor our men and women in the armed forces. That'll be next time on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar.